Judicial Center, I'm Beth Wiggins, Director of the Center's Research Division, and this is Term Talk. In each 8 to 12 minute episode, we discuss what the lower courts may need to know about this term's Supreme Court decisions. Joining me today are Michael McConnell, former judge for the Tenth Circuit, and now Richard Francis Mallory Professor of Law and Director of the Constitutional Law Center at Stanford Law School. And also, Erwin Chemerinsky, Dean and Jesse H. Choper, Distinguished Professor of Law, University of California, Berkeley School of Law. Thank you both for being here today. The Supreme Court heard several First Amendment cases this term. We discussed City of Austin versus Reagan National Advertising and Shirtliff versus City of Boston in another episode. Today we'll discuss Houston Community College System versus Wilson and Federal Election Commission versus Ted Cruz for Senate. So let's talk first about Houston Community College System versus Wilson, a case that asks whether the First Amendment prevents elected bodies from censoring a member for their speech. It was decided 9-0 that they can do so, with Justice Gorsuch writing the opinion. So Erwin, can you tell us some about the facts and background of this case? Was it as straightforward as it sounds? David Wilson was an elected member of the Houston Community College System. From the time he was elected, he was in constant disagreements with the other members of the board. He was often quite vocal and vociferous with regard to his disagreement with the other members of the board. He filed suit against them. He hired private investigators to look at them. The board then issued a censure resolution against Wilson, saying his conduct was not in the best interest of the board. In addition to calling it reprehensible, the board also imposed certain consequences. They said that Wilson was prohibited from holding office on the board. They set conditions for his using funds, and they made him ineligible for reimbursement as to travel. Wilson then sued the board and its members under 42 United States Code Section 1983 for violating his First Amendment rights. The federal district court dismissed Wilson's claim. The United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit found that the censure resolution violated Wilson's First Amendment rights, but as you said, the Supreme Court unanimously reversed the Fifth Circuit and ruled against Wilson. So Michael, can you take us through the Supreme Court's analysis and what did they say about a possible future, I think it was censure plus type claim? Yeah, so there are two things about this case that I think are significant. Uh, One is that the a board here uh, in censuring its member did not impose any material consequences. And so it was sure, purely uh, uh, censorship. The other is that there is a very long standing, and this means throughout American history and into parliamentary history prior to uh, the existence of the United States, a very long history of legislative bodies Uh, censuring their own members uh, for conduct, but also for speech, for things uh, that that they have said. And and when you focus on these two aspects of the case, they, although they came together in this case, they point in slightly different directions uh, for the future. And I think the court here was, was, um, we tried to make its holding narrow and apply only to the circumstance of a legislative body censuring its own members and thus relying upon that long history and leaving open the question of whether 
other forms of censure or criticism, uh, even without overt material consequences, might raise First Amendment uh, considerations. The court, I think, was very careful not to tell us uh, what the answers are going to be to those uh, cases. Erwin, how about you in terms of what the lower court should be thinking about? A threshold question in free speech cases or any case involving individual rights is whether the government action is an infringement of the right. And what Justice Gorsuch says here is the censure resolution by itself is not an infringement of the right. Now, it's interesting, there were other consequences, but the court said those were not before the court. All that it was considering was censorship by itself. Now, I think it's also important to emphasize something that Michael said. The court, as it did so many times this term, takes a very historical approach in trying to decide whether this censure resolution violated the First Amendment. Why don't we move on to FEC versus Cruz for Senate? Um, this challenge raised the questions of whether the loan repayment limits in the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act of 2002 violated the free speech clause of the First Amendment. In a 6-3 decision written by Chief Justice Roberts, the court determined that the limits did violate the First Amendment. So, Michael, can you briefly explain what the loan repayment limit is and how it applied to this case? Yes, and let me warn you that I'm going to be oversimplifying here. There was a lot going on. This is very complicated, but the essence of the case is not so complicated. What Congress uh, decided in the in, in uh, McCain-Feingold, the Bipartisan uh, Campaign Finance Reform Act, uh, was that there should be a cap on the amount of money uh, that that a campaign can receive from contributors after the election for the purposes of repaying uh, loans that were made to the can, uh, campaign during the course of the election. Now, almost all of these loans are from the candidate himself or herself. So in this case, uh, Ted Cruz running for the Senate in Texas lent his own campaign uh, some, somewhat over a qu quarter of a million dollars. And the question is, could uh, he get repaid for uh, more than the cap? The cap happens to be 250000 And the Supreme Court uh, said that uh, its prior decisions in this area protected this and that it is unconstitutional for Congress to, uh, to, to impose a cap of that sort. I think it's important to recognize what the majority says is this is core political speech and that this rule will discourage people from making contributions to their own campaign for fear that they won't be repaid. There is an issue about what level of scrutiny should be applied for these kinds of restrictions, but the majority says we don't need to reach that question here because the restrictions imposed by the Bipartisan Campaign Finance Reform Act don't even serve any legitimate purpose. So, Michael, how do you think this fits into the court's campaign finance jurisprudence? To my mind, this goes well beyond uh, earlier decisions. Uh, the, the common sense of the campaign finance cases has been that uh, political speech is core speech. The way uh, we communicate with our fellow citizens about the issue of who should be elected to office is by 
you know, purchasing ads and trying to persuade uh, through this. But this is actually, the court just to sort of assume that this case is of that nature, but I think that was an incorrect assumption. And the reason I think that that's a false assumption is that when the election is over and I contribute money to a candidate, I'm actually not buying speech. I am not trying to persuade my fellow citizens who to vote for. What I am doing is enabling the campaign to give money to the candidate to repay uh, the candidate's loans. At the time I'm doing it, I know who won the election. Nobody gives contributions to the loser. Uh, I know who won the election, and I know that this money is going to go to defray a personal loan from the candidate uh, to the campaign. I think Michael makes a great point. Going back to Buckley versus Vallejo, the Supreme Court has said that we protect spending in campaigns under the First Amendment because it facilitates speech. But Michael just explained why that's not so here. I think that you have to see this case as part of a much more general pattern of the Supreme Court being very hostile to restrictions of spending in election campaigns. And so this then fits the pattern of many recent cases. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you.